Where did my mojo go? By Edward Iftidi. And more importantly, how do I get it back? Sometimes it appears as a nagging frustration, or sometimes depression, or sometimes it boils over into a midlife crisis. Whether you're facing problems yourself or trying to understand demotivation in the staff you are leading, after a decade of coaching business people, I can tell you one thing for sure, demotivation is a common problem in all stages of life. We will all eventually run into this wall, personally or professionally. In this article, I break down the causes for demotivation at work, and solutions for getting your mojo back. Based on our analysis, teams in these organizations spend between 40 and 80% of their time wasting their time, but working harder and harder, longer and longer, on less and less value-adding activities. This is what is killing productivity and what makes people suffer at work. Eve Moore you. In this article. What causes employee demotivation in the first place? Is employee work being evaluated fairly? Fixing the complexity problem. A bottom-up approach to simplification. Build your organizational skills. A personal story. Your actions for the next two weeks to improve your motivation. What causes employee demotivation in the first place? Can you remember the feeling you had when you first read that email confirming you had been chosen for your current job? Remember how good that felt? You had been chosen for many possible candidates and you were the best. Remember how excited you were as you started thinking about all the new possibilities that you would experience? The money you would make? The new friendships you would forge? Sure, you might have been a little anxious, but I'm guessing mostly happy and excited and motivated. Where did that excited, motivated, I can do anything feeling go? When did it leave and most importantly, how can you get it back? When you start a new job, there's the exciting phase of learning new skills, where the best place to eat lunch is and who your desk neighbors are. Later, there are the deadlines, the pressure, the never-ending email, long meetings, and long hours. Eventually, there are negative colleagues, chronic disorganization, and disengaged co-workers who seem to just be putting in the absolute minimum effort. All of these things seem like good reasons for anyone to become disengaged but Eve more you suspects a different culprit. According to Eve, these kinds of problems are not the disease, rather they are only symptoms of a deeper issue, complexity. In Eve more used TED Talk, How Too Many Rules at Work Keep You From Getting Things Done, Eve puts a spotlight on possibly the biggest issue plaguing corporations today, complexity. Eve thinks new departments and new layers of management are reactively created to deal with new issues or problems the corporation faces as it attempts to improve productivity and continue to grow. As companies pursue ever greater levels of clarity, measurement, and accountability, employees get further and further removed from company management and company vision through the increasing complexity of work. Eve Moore You Ultimately, this increase in complexity kills cooperation between departments and even co-workers. The typical reaction of management to achieve more measurable results is to create more and more KPIs, key performance indicators, to measure work they may not be able to monitor directly. To clearly define the roles of each department, workgroup, and employee to avoid duplication and determine who's in charge. To identify accountability, so when things go wrong management knows who to blame. Complexity kills cooperation, proactive behavior and productivity. Employees who feel like they're wasting their time on tasks that feel pointless, who don't understand the vision of management, who don't understand their role in achieving the goals of the company, who don't understand the company structure and hierarchy, who don't understand how their work is being evaluated, 
are at serious risk of becoming disengaged employees. Add to this problem the fear of being blamed if something goes wrong and suddenly cooperation goes out the window, spreading frustration, resentment, and further disengagement. Is employee work being evaluated fairly? I think there's no debate. Focusing too much on accountability to clearly define who made the mistake is a sure way to kill the entrepreneurial spirit in staff. If you're afraid of getting blamed every time there's a mistake, why try doing anything new? Focusing too heavily on the clarity of roles can also be a problem because it can seriously hurt cooperation, particularly between different departments. I'll address both of these issues in subsequent articles, but for now, I'd like to shine a spotlight on the importance of fair work evaluation. I believe you can indirectly influence your role and your accountability to some degree if you really want to. The way your work is evaluated, on the other hand, is largely out of your control and I think requires a special strategy to keep it from draining your motivation. I'm not against KPI setting. I understand and agree with the motivating power that qualitative KPIs have on us. In fact, I will talk more about goal setting a little later. The issue I have is with carelessly created KPIs that are demotivating and distracting you from engaging with your work. So let's try to understand KPIs a little more deeply and what you can do about them if they are driving you crazy. In my opinion, the three biggest issues that arise from carelessly created KPIs are Confusion Gaming Who are the KPIs really designed for? Confusion When there are too many KPIs an obvious problem arises, Employees struggle with how they apply all of these measurements to their work. Managers struggle with ranking employees in a mind-numbing, time-consuming exercise that needs to be completed year after year. I have 25 or 30 KPIs, key performance indicators, that my performance is measured on. I can't even list the KPIs for you. My bonus structure is a complete black box. I have no fair way of showing my value to the company. A frustrated employee. How demotivating is that? After over a decade in the business, this is a pretty typical thing I hear from people I coach. Actually the problem is much worse than just having too many KPIs. There's also the way KPIs are designed. I've worked with a number of middle managers trying to get the wording just right on KPIs. How are typical KPIs produced? A very vague list of targets is issued from head office as a sort of template to build department-specific KPIs around. A manager then takes these vague statements and tries to inject specific, measurable criteria that are clear enough for anyone in your department to completely understand their role. As a manager once put to me so eloquently, you were accountable for this KPI list, so it had better be long enough to prove to your supervisor you have everything covered. Otherwise, you'll be ordered to waste more time revising your list. You'd better be specific enough, or subordinates will complain that they don't understand what targets they're aiming for. You'd also better not make your KPIs too specific because it's your KPI list. If anything falls through the cracks, it's your responsibility. A frustrated middle manager. Say KPI again. I dare you. Gaming. When organizations put too much emphasis on KPIs I think you can quickly go from motivating employees, to playing a stupid game that creates a toxic environment in your organization. Let's use an example from my sales past. After graduating from university, I spent about a year selling timeshare. There were a lot of issues that made the job demotivating, but for this example, I'm going to concentrate on KPIs. My KPIs were my sales numbers, phone calls to prospects and face-to-face -face meetings with clients. 
I think everyone would agree making calls to prospects and visiting existing clients is an important part of being successful in improving sales numbers. Measuring call and visit numbers might also be valuable to my development as a salesperson. If it turns out I'm not the best salesperson in the office, I could measure my call and visit volume against more successful salespeople to see what they're doing differently than me. This behavior comparison might help me to make meaningful changes in my sales process. If I can't manage my time to meet the same visit and call volume as the best salespeople, I might ask my manager if I could shadow a top salesperson for a day or two to see what they're doing right. That's effective on the job training. But why link call and visit volume to a bonus structure? Let's say I can't hit my call and visit numbers. No matter what I do, I just don't have enough time in the day to achieve those KPIs. Now I have a real problem. If my pay is linked to KPI performance and I can't achieve my KPIs, my bonus will suffer. Well, I could go to my manager, admit defeat and ask for more training. Or, I could just fake my KPIs. I could just say I saw my clients three times this month but visit them once or twice instead. Who's going to check? Would my clients even remember how many times I dropped in this month if my manager checked? Does my manager even have the time to double check? Now that my bonus is at risk, the easiest, safest and most profitable course of action is to simply fake my KPI numbers. Now, our well-meaning KPIs are on their way to becoming a game. Of course, every company is going to have employees who cheat the system and every company is going to have hard-working employees who work diligently on their skills and their productivity. But I think bad KPIs spread dishonesty. In my case, I was kind of a natural salesperson. I worked hard to achieve my KPIs and therefore I regularly achieved top monthly sales figures. But what happens if too many of my colleagues, who are struggling to achieve targets, start faking their KPIs? Suddenly, everyone is easily achieving their KPIs, month after month. Fantastic! Except, now that everyone is achieving their KPIs, then the natural assumption must be the KPIs are set too low. So naturally, the sales manager raises face-to-face -face meeting quotas. Suddenly, I'm struggling to achieve the new meeting targets, even though my sales numbers are the best in the office. Naturally, I assume everyone must be cheating on their KPIs. Well, in that case, I may as well cheat too. The same mindset pervades professional athletes who take performance-enhancing drugs. How much respect do we have now for Ben Johnson and Lance Armstrong? Similar to sport. Cheating in the short term can create spectacular but ultimately pointless results. The sales call KPI has officially become a stupid, time-wasting game. Now no one is giving accurate data. The prospect calls and client visit numbers have now become completely meaningless. In fact, it's a complete waste of time for the company to collect the data. What is the company going to do with it? Tell new sales staff to try to achieve numbers they will never be able to achieve? Who are they really designed for? Well, there is still one good reason left to keep playing the KPI game. The office sales manager can show his slash her boss how much more productive the office is by documenting a 10% increase in sales calls and client visits. This is the final problem I have with careless KPIs. They are often more valuable as a simple way to show fake improvement in the department than they are at improving real employee performance. And employees know when their time is being wasted. Unfortunately, Bad KPIs don't just confuse employees, they don't just tempt employees to cheat, they encourage managers to write more useless, time-wasting, 
anti-productive KPIs and yet another attempt to prove they are carefully monitoring productivity while at the same time addressing KPI abuse problems. Let's face facts, how do you think departments get to 25 or more KPIs in the first place? Fixing the complexity problem. So, how do we fix this problem? Eve suggests cutting quantitative KPIs and reducing attention on defining roles and accountability. Instead, concentration should be placed on improving cooperation by increasing knowledge of the work other people do in the organization and increasing a sense of reciprocation. The power of integrators and team leaders should be increased to better allocate human resources and to allow more time for managers to challenge assumptions and develop employee skills. I couldn't agree more. But Eve is talking about a top-down approach to simplification and this is a tall order for the vast majority of companies. Most of the firms I've consulted at have employed some combination of management flattening, KPI reduction, and team building. However, these efforts have largely fallen far short of the idea Eve talks about and employees often remain detached, demotivated and disengaged. To add to the complexity of the problem, large organizations are usually in a constant state of reorganization with shifting lines of reporting and power vacuums created when layers of management are removed. This constant state of change may be important to the health and competitiveness of the organization, but it is also another chronic source of stress and frustration to middle managers and staff making up the backbone of the organization. I'm sure it's obvious to you by now, waiting for a complicated, disorganized or dysfunctional organization, department, or supervisor to get fixed seems like a poor strategy if you're looking to fall in love with your job again. So is there action we can take personally to try to re-engage with our work? A bottom-up approach to simplification. The answer lies in investing in you. Since the corporation can't fix the problem and you can't fix the corporation, the only course of action left to the employee searching for re-engagement is to start investing in themselves and the environment around them. Let's face it, if you wait for the company to fix things, you will be waiting forever. Complaining about problems only makes you feel worse and makes you sound like a loser. Quitting your job only starts the cycle again. You need to stop being part of the problem and instead become part of the solution. So, where do you start? I'm out of here. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Giffy. Let's start with something practical that can make a difference in your life right away. I suggest your very first step is to free up time. If you're going to start transforming your career, you need time to set goals and learn new skills to help you on your way. You've probably heard of these amazing programs at companies like Google that allow employees large blocks of time to work on projects not related to their day-to-day -day work. These companies realize engaged, passionate employees are happy, productive employees. What I'm going to say next may sound radical at first but you have to realize, change is necessary if you want things to get better. Your first step is to start making time at work to invest in you. Your company may or may not be open to using company time for self-improvement, but it doesn't matter, take the time. I'd suggest starting with about 5-10% to of your week to invest directly in yourself. Even if not approved by your company or your manager, trust me, no one in a disorganized organization will even notice you are spending 10% of your time on your self-improvement projects. If you already feel disengaged and demotivated and you're honest with yourself, you're probably wasting more than 10% of your time at work already. Instead of running around the office trying to look busy or going on long coffee breaks, start thinking about using this time to invest in you. If you really feel you can spare any time at work, don't worry. Just block some time on the weekend to sit somewhere quiet where you can concentrate 100% on yourself to get the process started.
I know no one likes working on the weekend, but this isn't going to be permanent. Just a couple of weekends or so at first to get you started on the right path. So, what should you do with this freed up time? Learn how to free up even more time. Build your organizational skills. Find a time management course online. There are tons of them. Try googling udemy.com, skillshare.com, lynda.com or amazing.com. These are just a few of the online, study-on-demand websites popping up every day. One of the biggest barriers we face when trying to improve our working environment is not having enough time. I know we're all busy. We all have deadlines and customers and managers breathing down our necks. We all have a full email inbox and a desk covered in paperwork. Taking a basic time management course will help you to deal more efficiently with your day-to-day -day work. A time management course will help you to free up time in your schedule to invest somewhere else while allowing you to complete the same amount of output expected by your manager. You may already feel that you are very time efficient. But I'm confident there is always room for improvement in your work efficiency. Consider taking other online courses, night courses or seminars to build both hard and soft skills. Have you mastered using all of the applications and software you use at work? If not, try upgrading your skills. Upgrading the software skills you use every day will almost certainly lead to more free time in the office. Are all of your working relationships smooth, productive and conflict-free? If not, conflict is wasting both your time and your brain power. Consider taking leadership programs at work, communication courses online or at a local college, conflict management seminars through a local professional association. If online courses aren't teaching you anything new, Consider working with new applications on your smart device or investing in new hardware to help you get more paperless and more streamlined. It took me a few years of trial and error, but my entire office is now in one briefcase. I carry almost no paper with me. Now, 99% of all documents I use are electronic and stored in the cloud. My calendar, project management, and goal-setting applications are accessible on any device platform, are all integrated with each other are shareable and updated in real time. I can shoot, edit and display video for a seminar or a workshop anywhere within minutes. I carry portable Wi-Fi with me so my boring commute home is now productive time to send an email, create new seminar material or to edit a new video. If I don't have a face-to-face -face meeting scheduled, I can work from home, a different city or even a different country. Nevertheless, I spend time every week researching new applications and processes in an attempt to further improve my productivity and work quality. You should too. I don't care if you start with only one hour per week. Take the time to invest in better time management and I promise you will find more time in your schedule at work. Start aggressively planning your day before you start any other work. Now that you've freed up a little time with better time management, it's time to prioritize your tasks. A big mistake many of us make is thinking everything is a priority. As Eve points out in his TED talk, many of our daily tasks are really just wasting our valuable time, stealing productivity that could be better used on higher value tasks. If you're not already doing it, you need to develop a strategy to concentrate your effort on high value tasks and minimize or even ignore low value, useless tasks. There are a lot of ways to prioritize tasks, but I'm going to suggest the process I use because it's simple. If you want to use a different strategy, that's fine, but get those daily tasks prioritized before you pour your first cup of coffee. A personal story. I started a new job in the financial field in 1998. The company was a small back office processing trades for financial advisors. 
We were very understaffed at the time. On my first day of work, I was shown my desk and piles of paperwork that needed to be entered into an antiquated database. I was instructed to go to work and ask questions as needed. In addition, I was expected to take calls from financial advisors and problem-solve issues concerning trades, compliance rules, and general errors or mistakes. Problems stacked up quickly and before the week was out I had more paperwork on my desk than I could possibly handle in a day. I said to the guy sitting at the next desk, How are you handling this work volume? I feel like I'm drowning already. He came over to my desk and started sorting my paperwork into three stacks. As he stacked the paperwork he started to explain. These are your hot issues. This should include anything that needs to be solved today or anything that will cost the company money if it's not solved quickly. The second stack is your warm issues. This is anything that needs to be solved within a week. This is your cold stack. Only complete something in this stack if you've completed all of your outstanding hot and warm issues. Every morning, go through your warm jobs and see if anything needs to be upgraded to hot job status. On Monday, go through your cold jobs and see if anything needs to be upgraded to warm status. I had my doubts. But my cold stack is huge. How will I find the time to solve all of these problems? Relax, most low priority issues simply disappear by themselves, G twitch it. That was in 1998. Now I use an application on a smart device to sort tasks, but to this day I still use the same strategy. Hey, it's so simple. Whether it's a stack of paperwork, a list of tasks or people you need to call, spend time every morning resorting and prioritizing tasks and problems and give low-priority tasks the lack of attention they deserve. Start setting small, measurable improvement objectives for yourself at work. Now that you have more time in your schedule because you have better time management and a task prioritization system up and running, record your daily progress. By measuring your improving progress, you'll start seeing proof that you're getting things done and you will start feeling more relaxed and happier. This advice seems too good to be true, right? Not only does it work for me, I have some pretty serious credentials recommending nearly the same strategy. Sean Acor, CEO of GoodThink Incorporated. And a Harvard lecturer tackled this issue in his TED Talk, The Happy Secret to Better Work. If we can find a way of becoming positive in the present, then our brains work even more successfully as we're able to work harder, faster and more intelligently, because dopamine, which floods into your system when you're positive, has two functions. Not only does it make you happier, but it also turns on all of the learning centers in your brain allowing you to adapt to the world in a different way. Sean Acor to program your brain to think more positively, Sean suggests sitting down and within two minutes, writing down three things you're grateful each day for, 21 days in a row. According to Sean's research, within 21 days your brain will stop scanning for the negative and start scanning for the positive instead. Your actions for the next two weeks to improve your motivation. Tomorrow morning, organize your tasks for the day before you start working on anything. Quickly rank all outstanding tasks as high medium, or low priority. Finish the easiest or smallest tasks first, then tackle larger, more difficult tasks. Finish one task at a time. Try your best to complete a task before moving on to the next issue. Switching between tasks will only slow you down. If you'd like an app to help you get organized, I suggest Good Task 3. It's free, it's flexible, it's easy to set up, and it's easier to edit than using a paper-based system. You can also check your progress with a one-click feature that allows you to see all the projects you've already completed. Tomorrow evening, 
When you are walking back to your car or riding on the train, or the bus after work, concentrate on three positive things that happen to you at work. Remember, you need to keep this habit for at least 21 days. I suggest you make it a permanent habit. This weekend, research courses online and download a time management course. Next weekend, find and enroll in a new course either online or offline to develop one of your work-related skills. If this article helped you, pass it on to someone you care about. I'm Edward Alexander Iftidi, founder of Edward Alexander Consulting and author of Surviving Work. www.businesscommunicationcoaching.com